Hello and welcome to the Bond Revisited podcast with me, Tom. And me, Joe. The podcast where we rewatch Bond films one by one, discuss them, and then rank them alongside the other Bond films to build our own definitive list for the Bond franchise. You are listening to episode 23, where we'll be revisiting the film Skyfall. Oh, there's not many films, Joe, that I've seen twice in the cinema. I'm not that kind of guy. But I can confidently say that I definitely saw Skyfall twice when it came out in the pictures. Did you? I did. IMAX? Actually, no. I. It was like a local cinema, and then it was like a different local cinema. It probably should have been IMAX. But at that mm. time, I don't think I was even that fussed about IMAX. It was like a new thing. But it wasn't something where... I can't remember the first time I watched an IMAX. But yeah, I wasn't quite there yet. Wasn't there. Okay. Well, I, to be honest, neither was I. I think the first one I saw in IMAX was Spectre. So that yeah. went well. <laughs> you don't want to miss a frame. You want to get it all blown I want up. to see every every frame of Spectre, yeah, and enjoy every single one. But no, I didn't see this in, in IMAX. But I'm trying to think when I... I don't think I saw this multiple times at the cinema. Hmm. I don't think so. I should but, have. But is that something you would do normally? Or is that rare? <sighs> For Bond, I think now I would. Like, I saw No Time to Die twice at the cinema. Oh, nice. Um, but back then, I don't know. Yeah, I just wasn't on that level, I guess. Which is weird to think back now, <laughs> since we've been doing this Bond podcast and getting into the Bond mood. And yeah, back then, I, I didn't care enough to go see it twice in the cinema. No, I'm generally the same. Like, not even just going to the cinema, but just watching films in general. Once I've seen it, it would be like, 10 years before i watch it again yeah it's just how i watch films it's just like tv i'll watch over and over and over again until i'm sick of it but films because it's more of a commitment to sit down and especially going to the cinema like yeah it's a big thing but yeah skyfall but was one that i really enjoyed i saw it with a mate when i was in uni and then i saw it again with family but that also ties into my next point here is that skyfall was a huge deal <laughs> huge huge so like i yeah. saw it with my family not because i was like right everyone get in the car <laughs> we're saying you, Sky you kidnapped Ball. you kidnapped them just like bond does with them that's what you did exactly and yeah they were just like well the new bonds out so let's go see the new bond but these weren't like this was like my mum, and she's not like yeah james bond <laughs> <laughs> you will like james bond yes there's 23 <laughs> of them now um, so it kind of just shows like yeah this was and still is the most successful bond film of all time even accounting for inflation like it grossed 1.1 billion dollars in the box office and even accounting for inflation yeah this was still the biggest but the biggest before this point was fundable when accounting for inflation so but skyfall was bigger than that um so yeah maybe it wasn't like everyone was going crazy for this film because the 2012 there's a lot going on i think the first avengers film came out but everyone like when a good bond film is out or at least in the uk anyway people will go and see it and get excited about it yeah Th yeah this film in particular i don't know whether it was just a mixture and i've, I've spoke about this before on the podcast but whether it was just a a good general a national mood at the time 2012 <laughs> the national mood was very good it was good before things started to go downhill because um, I, I spoke about the Olympics, which Bond was at. It was very much a year of celebration. And I think this also being the 50th anniversary of the Bond franchise, it all just 
worked. It all melded together and it helped with like Adele was just a, you know, Adele was huge. She still is. And then like the Bond song being done by Adele, you heard it everywhere. It was all all mixed together just to make this perfect storm of Bond at that time. Yeah, which is great because Quantum of Solace wasn't that well received. And yeah. everyone was all like, oh, that wasn't great. And everyone just kind of ignored it. And then they came back four years later with Skyfall and it, it was just back straight away. Like, I wouldn't say it was any sort of revival. I think that's a bit too extreme. But it just kind of goes to show that when the Bond franchise fires on all cylinders, and as you say, everything clicks into place and all the stars aligned, it can really take off. Like, it's, it was the second biggest film of the year. At the time, I'm, I'm reading this, um, it was the seventh highest grossing film of all time. It was huge, despite the last one being a bit naff. And this grossed like double what the last one did. So it's... Uh, I always thought that was really cool. Um, and you can kind of look at the Daniel Craig era and you can kind of see like how much it grossed kind of ties to the quality, which I actually really enjoy because it just means like, yeah, Bond's an established franchise. It's out. You know, they're always making a new one every so often or not. But it does kind of imply to me that people just kind of pay attention. Like, is this a good one? Should we go watch it? And if it's a yes, then all right, let's go watch it then. <laughs> but if it's not, they're like, ah, they'll make another one. They've been doing it <laughs> since the 60s. Who cares? We'll get the yeah. next one then. That's true. And then the day will come where there will not be another one and people will be sad. But that's that's just the way it is. Yeah, you're right. Like, oh, we'll give that one a miss, maybe. They'll, you know, the next one might be better. And thankfully, as you say, it was compared to Quantum of Solace. Yeah. But I would say going into this film, though, this was before I knew how who um, Sam Mendes was, the guy who directed this. This is before I really kind of cared that much about that side of things. I would still say, even though I was getting more back into Bond at this point, after we talked about last time, Quantum of Solace, we both kind of fell off, coincidentally. Um, but I was getting back into it, but I still didn't know that much about it. I still wasn't watching the old ones. I think it was after I watched Skyfall and got into it, is actually then between this and Spectre, is when I was like, what's that Doctor No all about? I don't think I've... I can't remember that film. It was kind of like this film re-energized me to get into Bond and kind of led me to be the fan I am today because after this one was so good it made me look back get super into the franchise and then go all in ready for Spectre yeah yeah I would agree as well I mean I'm just kind of thinking back to the things I did back then and I, I think it also helps that this film is the one and we'll talk about this as we review it but this is the film which since Daniel Craig's start where they sort of did that reboot and they stripped it back and they got rid of the things that people knew and loved. They got rid of Q, they got rid of Money Penny, they got rid of the gadgets, all those sort of cliches and cheesy stuff. This is the film where they start to sprinkle that back in and I'm, that kind of lends itself very nicely to then start looking back throughout the franchise's history and seeing where it all kind of came from and how they've kind of come full circle back to some of those those tropes. Yeah, which is so exciting to see. Um, it's, it's just great that the franchise can do this. It's done it before and it, it's kind of done it again. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Skyfall. I don't think it was Bloodstone that got me back into Bond. I, I'm going to give the credit to Skyfall. Do you know what? Funny about Bloodstone, actually, because I was thinking about that the other day. I don't know why I ended up watching a video about it on YouTube, but I was looking at the comments of it and this is completely unrelated to Skyfall, so I'll, I'll be brief, but... One of the comments was saying how uh, Spectre 
kind of retroactively made that film uh, made that game work because it ends on a cliffhanger and i remember being really annoyed by it at the time but now you realize actually oh that could link quite nicely into the films even though they didn't mean it with the whole specter stuff so yeah yeah i don't think that's what they were going for but not at all not at all they were winging it completely (laughs) definitely um so shall we get into it yeah so once again very brief uh more ads on the blu-ray boo um, but we did get the Bond theme properly play on the Blu-ray menu. That's true. Which yes. was really exciting. I was like, oh, yes, it's nice to actually hear the Bond theme when I'm about to watch a Bond film. What a weird novelty that is. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Madness, I tell you. Yeah. So you hit play and you start watching the film and no bloody circles. Now, it feels weird to start on a negative when it comes to Skyfall, but give me circles for goodness sake no like, no circles for you tom just give me the circles though oh i find it so strange because the beginning of the beginning shot of this film is pretty good uh and i'll talk about that in a bit but i feel like once again they tease circles they laid the foundation to get the circles and a more traditional opening to a bond film where we hear the bond film and daniel craig come across and shoot it because that's how quantum of solace ended and now we've finished up that storyline, Those that is done, and they've established, like, I'm Bond, James Bond, blah, blah, blah. like, they've done all that, so just give me the circles! <laughs> but no! No circles again! And it's not a big deal, really, but I feel it's very strange how this franchise during the Craig era feels like it's, like, pulling and pu- pushing forward and pulling back all, oh, here's all the Bond elements, ah, no, 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 here's all the Bond, like, it... That's something yeah. I've not noticed before, but I'm noticing on the rewatch that they're very, they're big teases when it comes yes. to this stuff. By this point, yes. we should have the circles because we did the origin story. So just give me the circles for goodness sake. Yeah, it's like they're trying to now be different for the sake of being different. And it's where they, where they reached by the end of Quantum of Solace, this should now be it. This, well, you could argue like this is actually the end of the end of Skyfall was now where you're like getting traditional Bond back. But I feel like we could have had it now. We're two films in. That's enough. Yeah, I don't know what happens in this film to make me think, oh, well, now it makes sense to have the circles. It's like, just give me the circles now. But mm. anyway, we'll move on from the circles. So we fade from black and we see a long kind of corridor and a man at the end of the corridor who's out of focus and he kind of steps from the corner at the end of this corridor. And there's like a Bond horn music sting where it's like, as he kind of steps out and the man then walks towards the camera. He's still all out of focus. He's like black as well. You can't really see him. It's quite dark. And eventually he does reach the camera quite slowly walking up and a light reveals his eyes and you can see it's Bond. You can't ignore those blue eyes. No, it's (laughs) so strange. They knew it's happened so often in this franchise or in the craig films that they focus on the blue eyes like they're almost making the blue eyes like his most distinctive feature which is interesting yeah yeah Yeah, so that's bond and he gets a gun out he gets his pistol and you see him walk towards the door aiming his gun and he enters into this i think a hotel room and he sees two dead bodies on the floor and he also sees somebody in a chair who has been shot, who has been injured. And Bond says, it's Ronson. Ronson is down and he needs medical EFAC. And we hear M over the comms in Bond's ear uh, asking, like, is it there? Is it there? 
and Bond sees a smashed laptop and he says the hard drive is gone um, and the man that we saw, Ronson, is dying in the chair and Bond is talking to M and M saying, you got to go. And Bond says, I need a minute to stabilize the bleeding to, to save Ronson. So he's like putting pressure on Ronson's side where he's bleeding, trying to save him. But M's like, you don't have time. Leave him. Go. Uh, so Bond takes a second to think about this and eventually does walk off. But he kind of continues to check the room a little bit while Ronson is just there in the chair dying and bleeding. So he's looking around and then he goes to leave and we get a little second of him looking back before he he leaves. Um, so Bond heads down the stairs into the street and he quite casually puts his gun away just as he hits the street. So uh, I don't think this gets confirmed here, but we are in Turkey. So this is Turkey. Um, I'm not sure if it is Istanbul or not. I think this was shot in Istanbul, but I'm not too sure if they confirm that. So it's a very kind of, you know, quite deserty but it's a city so it's all very busy hustle and bustle that sort of thing mm. so bond walks outside and a jeep parks up and he jumps into the jeep and there's a woman driving the car and they start following a black audi who they believe is the person who has what they're looking for uh, and the woman in the car who i'm gonna i guess i'll call like woman agent i don't really have a good name for her because they don't tell you her name until the very end of the film but now we have to talk about this character for like hours. Can, can we get away with calling her just by her first name, do you think? Maybe, yeah. I mean, so, it's not as if it's like a spoiler thing, but like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It does yeah. make, yeah. Woman so this agent is... is yeah. So her name, <laughs> yes. So her name is Eve. Um, so this is Eve, who is a fellow MI6 agent working with Bond. So yeah, she asked about Ronson and... They say how MI6 is sending an EVAC because we cut, we do cut to MI6 a little bit with Tanner and M kind of in an office with a lot of people working there. But uh, Tanner says they're sending an EVAC, but Bond shouts they'll be too bloody late. Um, so, yeah, the woman is like driving down the street. She doesn't seem to be a very good driver. She accidentally like smashes off one of the car side mirrors and then smashes the other one off as well as a joke, I, I think. Um, and it's a very busy street and we see some policemen nearby on, on bikes who look like they're about to move or ch start chasing them. Uh, but yeah, lots of struggling at the wheel for this woman. Like she's driving this Jeep, but uh, Eve is clearly like a qualified agent, but she's having a bad time. Um, so she starts like smashing into the Audi, but not very hard. So Bond then just grabs the wheel, pulls it and then smashes into the Audi for her. Um, so this causes the Audi to go on its side and it like slides through on the ground and then goes into like this market and then kind of when it stops it then lands back on its four wheels again. So the man gets out, Bond gets out, the man who they're chasing just starts shooting at Bond so he takes cover behind a car and all the police bikes we saw before they arrive and the man who Bond is chasing just shoots them and kills them both and he grabs one of the police bikes and drives off. So Bond just kind of looks around and grabs somebody else's bike and, and follows them as well. So Eve then starts driving the Jeep again to follow. And she asks directions from Tanner over the radio. And M is saying, we can't afford to lose the list. We need that list. So Bond is chasing this guy, this terrorist, we'll assume, uh, chasing him through the streets. And he gets blocked. So on the bike, he sees some stairs going into like a building. So he goes up that. And that puts them onto the roofs, um, which this all looks very Quantum of Solace, by the way. Like, this is Turkey and not Italy, but it was very 
odd to have an opening sequence like this where Bond is chasing somebody on a roof in a hot country. And it, it I was like, this just looks like Quantum of Solace. Like, I'm, I'm not opposed to that, but... Odd. I can follow it better, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Tano is saying, oh, they're on the rooftops of the Great Bazaar. Um, so there's lots of Bond and the man driving on these roofs and they're kind of doing these like small jumps. They're like being launched up. So they're kind of like bouncing on these roofs. And eventually the, the man that Bond is chasing like jumps through a window and lands into like an indoor market and Bond follows and they're both driving through the market. There are lots of people and they're all jumping out of the way as they're driving through. And we go back to Eve, who is driving the Jeep and she's through traffic and Tanner tells on the radio, go to the bridge, like go around, go to the bridge and cut him up there. So the man of Bond are now back onto the main road. And yeah, like Eve causes a truck to flip at some point. Because again, she just apparently can't drive very well. It's strange. (laughs) Does she? I forget that bit. Oh, no, wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. Never mind. Yeah, like I know what they're trying to do here. They're trying to set it up that she's like, not suited for the field but having like a woman agent just suck at driving i'm just like that's probably not the way to do that maybe yeah yeah kind of a woman vibes there Mm. (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) so she parks up uh, on the bridge and the man that they're chasing sees her so they're now all on this bridge so he just jumps off and she starts shooting at the man and but he has landed on top of a train. So below them are some tracks and a train going underneath. So he's landed on them. And Bond sees this. So he just, rather than just jumping off himself, he like full speed with the bike smashes into the side of the bridge. And that like launches him forward onto the train. And he lands on the roof, but he rolls off and then hangs on the side, but is able to climb up. So Eve reports to M that they're both on top of the train. And M's like, well, go after them. Um, so Bond is kind of walking near some diggers so it's like it is a passenger train but there's like two kind of carriages which are just like construction equipment which are like these diggers so bond has ended up hiding behind some of the diggers while the man is further up ahead on top of a carriage um so they're kind of shooting at each other and eve is chasing on the jeep tanner says you've gone out of range so we now can't see you on the maps uh, but they can still talk to each other so Bond and this man is shooting at each other. Bond runs out of ammo. So he looks at one of the diggers and climbs into it while the other man is reloading. So the digger is actually like facing the opposite direction of where this man is. So if you can imagine where like you've got the cockpit and then you've got like the big scoopy bit. (laughs) I don't know what the the technical term is for that. Um, But that's like out in front pointed in the opposite direction to this guy. So Bond starts spinning it around and just as it kind of is a he's going to use it to like block the bullets but just before he can do that the man like shoots at bond and bond gets hit um he gets hit in the shoulder he does like this shudder shake and he gets hit in the shoulder um but he seems to shake that off quite quick um because bond then like knocks a load of cars off because there's like a load of cars in front of him a load of those get knocked off by the front of the digger and on the side, we have Eve in the Jeep who has to avoid all these cars because she's now fought, she's right there next to the train. And Bond starts like going forward in the digger and is crushing all the cars below. So the man on top of the train then just shoots out the link between the two carriages, like uncouples the cars. Um, so Bond's carriage or the one that he's on is now going backwards. 
So he launches the digger forward, kind of brings the hook bit down and hooks into the top of the next carriage. And then Bond gets up and climbs over the digger. Uh, the digger is like starting to give. It's starting to like pull backwards. So Bond jumps and he lands just in time. And as soon as he lands, he then goes from like, oh, to just like very posed and poised and like checking the, his sleeves, looking all very cool. Um, so the man they're chasing is still on top of the train and they enter a tunnel. So Eve is in the Jeep still, so she has to go around because they're now in the tunnel. Uh, Bond manages to climb to the top of the train. They start like fist fighting each other. The the man gets a metal chain and is just like flinging that at Bond. But Bond is able to wrestle him down and tries to choke him. Um, but there's another tunnel. So they're on top of them. So they both just instantly like collapse downwards to avoid the top of the tunnel. Uh, but this tunnel is very small. So they're still trying to fight each other, but they've they've not got much room at all to actually fight, so they can't go up. So they're kind of like pushing each other and trying to hit each other. And Eve then stops the jeep on a road and sets up her weapon with a scope on it. It's like an assault rifle or some sort of sniper rifle, perhaps, with a scope. Um, and she's waiting for the train to appear. So Bond and the man are still wrestling. They come out of the tunnel and then they're like fighting each other on the top of the train, which is now going over this like giant bridge extremely high bridge and they're fighting each other so eve is saying like i might have a shot because she's looking at them through the scope but it's not clean and we see em and tanner looking a bit nervous at mi6 and she says like there's no time for me to move another tunnel is coming up so em just says take the shot and eve is a bit worried about this she's like take the shot so em eventually is just like take the bloody shot (laughs) i was like hooray she said it she said, she the, said line. the line. Hey, I can go now. I'm good. That's all I came for. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all very tense and M shall take the bloody shot. So he fires and it just hits Bond. And all the music cuts out. There's very little sound and Bond just drops off the bridge. So it's a massive drop and he just lands into the water. Everything is very quiet. They go back to MI6 and over the radio we hear Eve say, Agent down. So M goes up to the window, is facing away from the camera, stares out the window, it's raining outside, and we hear the sound of the rain, it gets louder and louder and louder, she's staring outside, and that sound of rain then becomes sound of like rushing water, and we see Bond being carried by the river, and this leads to Bond then sinking down into the water. And that's your opening sequence! Whew! Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? I should have stopped at some point for that, but it's all very <laughs> tied into one. It's all very complete. Yes. Yeah, it's um it just constantly moves and I think uh I think it's really good. There's some issues I have with this pre-title sequence, but on the whole I really like it. I really uh, let me get the things I don't like out of the way quickly though. All right. Because one of the things I need a bit of clarification on, because I'm unsure if I just missed an obvious joke or if it's just a bit of bad dialogue. But when Eve is in the Jeep alongside the train and Bond knocks off all the cars, at that point I think M over the radio is saying, like, what happened? Or what what is it? And Eve just says, VW Beatles, I think. And and that's the line? Yeah. What why? <laughs> i think that- it's just like the lazy joke or quip writing which is someone states something that's true but that can't be true because that's so absurd yeah <laughs> i think I just, it's just that yeah i didn't i didn't get that I, I honestly thought there was a joke there i just wasn't getting 
But um, and the other thing that I really not a big deal, but the whole like rushing water and then you see Bond's body flow down. It's such a bad dummy. No, <laughs> come on. It, oh, that's Daniel. Just, that's no, him. no. <laughs> Listen, I know Daniel might have had some work done, you know, as a Hollywood actor, but he was looking very rubbery. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well it's the thing where, like right where like they try to sell the idea that bond's almost been like knocked out by being shot where because when he's falling that's a really awesome shot because it's so far yeah and it, that is a dummy but it almost works because it's just static and so it's like a corpse falling down but then to see him in the water act the same thing like bobbing i don't know like, just... <laughs> how did he survive that like he's not even like you would expect him to be somewhat conscious in terms of like some like his arm moving or something yes <laughs> yeah, yes it's just it's just that a fake dummy that's just being pushed down the river i never noticed that before but i think because watching it on the blu-rays that i've got like that really stood out to me and i just thought it was really funny um but i say all this most of the the rest of this pre-top sequence i thought was great i think like the the sort of uh the whole movement of it going from the bike or the the car to the bikes to the train. I love trains. I love anything Bond and trains go together so well. We've said it before, and I know this isn't quite the same thing, but um, you know, few eyes only similarities there. And I, yeah, fighting on top of a train always going to be a winner in my book. Um, and one thing I really liked, and one thing that is going to be a reoccurring kind of visual theme in this film is, as you said at the beginning, this is in Turkey. It's a very warm environment. Lots of orange tones, very hot temperature, color grading. And whenever it cuts back to MI6, it's very, it's, it's the opposite. It's very desaturated. It's very gray. It's always like London in this film until pretty much the end is always raining. It always looks miserable, London or MI6 in general. And you kind of see this from the get go. And I love that they kind of set up this thematic division Straight off the bat. Um, and, I mean, the colour grading in this film in general is is a very strong element of it. But uh, I just kind of like to see that. Like when M's looking out the window in the rain, it's just, yeah, like really hammers home that this is just not a good time. And it's, it's very obvious stuff to do in movies. It's raining. That means it's sad. But, like, it really works. Yeah, I think it was a great, great start to the film. Yeah, I agree. Like, if I get my uh, patented checklist for opening sequences that I now have. Oh, yeah. Um, it's it's something where it starts off slow and then it builds up and gets really exciting. So I like that. It's not just one pace. It kind of develops as it goes. So tick that box. It stands alone and its own exciting, good action sequence. Like, it's quite memorable and it's quite solid. It's not the most craziest one we've seen, but it is a very enjoyable one. So tick that box. It has very relevant story in there. Like, this is setting up the story and setting up some characters, especially with Eve and Bond and, as you say, like, M and MI6 is, like, how that functions in its relationship. So that gets a big old tick, and it gets me excited to see a Bond film. And what I generally like about this is that a lot of it is very typical, uh, and it's more just the way it's kind of shot with what Sam Mendes brings in terms of his style, it feels a little bit more stylish and slick. And as you say, the colours of this film are really, really good. Like, it's a very visually appealing film. Um, so you get that all up front. 
But a lot of what we're seeing is pretty standard. Like, there's nothing all that different here. And that's why I really, really love the opening moment. Because we go from somewhat standard Bond, good standard Bond, but still standard Bond, to in a second, Bond gets hit, everything cuts, it's quiet, and then he hits the water, and then it just changes tone, and that's the end of it. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, this might be like... Not if not my favorite, one of my favorites moments in the entire franchise because I just it hits you so hard. Um, and I watched this on quite a small screen this time, so it didn't hit me quite as hard as it normally does. But when I watched this in the cinema, when I watched this at home on my big TV, that moment is just so like, oh, oh, like it's just so well done to make you feel Bond being hit off the train and to just put your like heart in your in your throat. And it like gets you excited for the film, but in a yeah. very different way. It's like I don't buy that Bond's been killed, really, but the fact that Bond has been hit and they show this happening to Bond and make you feel the weight of it, awesome. Like I'm just like, yes, <laughs> like that's so good. It's uh it's just so well done that last moment. Um that I don't know I don't know if I would say Skyfall is like my favourite opening sequence. I think maybe something like a golden eye has a little bit more going on. Uh, but this one is still just very well put together, sets up so much of the film well, and it, it just takes every single box that I have on my checklist. Yeah. Yeah. And one other thing I forgot to mention is I think the whole thing with the, uh, like in a lot of Bond pre-talk sequences previously, there's always kind of one standout vehicle or mode of transport or something that is the main draw of it. And I know I mentioned there's like bikes and whatever. There's loads in this one, cars. But I feel like the digger is like a very, it's kind of silly. It's like a silly visual of Bond spinning around the digger. I mean, it's not played for silly in the film per se, but it, it kind of is still. And that kind of just gave me vibes of like, that's kind of old, quite old fashioned Bond. I don't know if I would have seen that necessarily in other, the other Craig films. But yeah, I like how they're, they're even from here, they, they're bringing back maybe some more of these elements that that we would have seen in the past. So, yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's nice that we get that. And that's what I guess I kind of feel like with it being not standard Bond. But yeah, it feels it does feel like a reinvention of classic Bond where it's not all super serious. There's a lot of serious stuff. But as you say, some of this stuff feels a little bit silly in the right in the best possible way. Yeah. And you get those cool Bond moments that we kind of saw in Goldeneye did it with the tie in the tank. Bond landing on that train and going from like kind of all over the place to then like bringing in the jacket and looking very suave straight away. Like there's a reason why every single trailer of this film had that shot in. Yeah. It's because it's such a Bond moment and it he pulls it off so well. And to go from the city digger to him jumping on and it's... Yeah, it it injects all those elements quite well as well, which is uh, what kind of helps it from being like generic, which is great. And he looks great in the suit. So, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Of course, love a great suit. Of course, suit. he is. Love a gray suit. Yeah. Right. So after that, we're on to the title sequence, and I feel like I've got quite a job now explaining what was in this one because this is like one of the most chocker block thematic ones I think we've seen so far. Um, we're back to Daniel Kleinman. We had the one-off Quantum of Solace one last time by the uh, the other agency, MK12. But we're back to Kleinman. Um, and it kind of starts with Bond, as we saw in the pre-tile sequence, Bond being sucked down into the water and down into a, a big black hole within the seabed. 
And from there, it's basically, well, a lot of this is kind of like a moving shot, like a constantly moving forward shot throughout lots of different sceneries and visuals. And I mean, I'm going to miss some, but just some of the ones that were in there is like, you kind of like pan through or dolly through graveyards and then it like color like we're going to mention or at least i'm going to mention color so much in this episode because color is such a strong part of it but like you go through um like really deep reds kind of like blood red um scenes and you see this mysterious house and in this kind of crack in the house you see a face and this is something i only got like this is kind of crazy what well, this film is now nearly was well, 11 years old I completely missed that when you go through this crack in the house and you see a face and it looks like Bond or it looks like Daniel Craig, I completely missed that that's actually like, it's meant to be a young Bond. It's a, it's a younger face. Oh, I never saw that, no. I never saw that before either. But the point is that you see it again later on and it's actually Daniel Craig. You know, it's more haggard and old and bags around the eyes. But I'm assuming... And this is jumping way ahead, but I'm assuming this is meant to be a young Bond. Yeah, when with you learn what gets, what yeah, the gets events revealed. before the, yeah, that's what yes. it talks about. Yeah. yeah, so like you kind of, you go through the eyes of this, what I presume is a, a young James Bond, um, blue eyes, and then you start seeing like all sorts of stuff, really. You see Bond um, kind of being surrounded by shadows, like his own shadow shooting them and shadows on the wall and... um blood trails in water lots of red steel and turns into a big skull you get flaming falling targets from the sky looks like debris falling from the sky and then it turns into chinese dragons dancing across the screen uh then you go into like a sort of x-ray effect like a black and white look and more skulls and more graves and oh man like a horde of mirrors at one point and even more shadows. Shadows is another big thing, and silhouettes is just constant throughout this film. Um, and then eventually it does go back to this kind of mysterious house, this big manor house mansion, lots of red once again, lots of falling smoke or whatever from the sky, and, and finally you do see, you see back through the crack in the house uh, another face, but like I say, I think it's the it's meant to be like Bond now, and it's the, the Craig that we all recognise. So... Whew, there is a lot to kind of go through if you actually wanted to go through scene by scene of this, which we won't because we haven't got all day. But um, it really does match up to so many of the plot. It's like one of the most kind of like this bit connects to this part of the film. This bit connects to this bit of the film. There's so many elements that it draws from that we're going to see later on. And it's just so incredibly, I put rich. I think that's something you could describe for the rest of this film is it's just so rich. Like, there's just... It, it just seems so sort of, like, thick with with visuals and, and the way it's shown and the colours and everything. It's bursting with stuff from the screen. And um, it's not my favourite. It's, it's not my favourite. I think maybe at times it maybe goes a bit too much with some of the stuff. Um, may, uh, part of me thinks, actually, I would have liked it to maybe be a little bit more focused on maybe just a co- couple of thematic ideas. But you can't knock on for trying to add as much as possible to this because there is just so much on screen to digest. Yeah, like I think something that's really great about this one is that they've really figured out how to take the CGI and make something that's really visually striking that you're not just thinking like, look how fake that looks. <laughs> um, like you could probably argue Quantum of Solace was like that and Casino Royale had CGI, but that was like 2D animated. So that was a little bit different. But 
it's nice that we're now in the era where technology can simply do what they want to do and it will look good. Yeah. Uh, because we did not have that for a little bit, uh, for better or for worse, uh, depending on how you feel about the cyber woman. <laughs> oh, no knocking her. No, 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 of course not. No, 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 no. no. Uh, but they, they're finally caught up and it means that they can really go all in with this stuff. And I think, as you say about color, there is a real focus on color. And that is a massive like strength of this one where each kind of scene that you go through have very distinct and bold colors that really makes it stand out and very striking and interesting to look at. And when it kind of jumps around between the different colors, something that's also quite nice is that it goes along to the music. And that really kind of helps in terms of telling this story and kind of conveying this and getting these kind of emotions and feelings across. So that all that stuff is very good. Uh, I would also agree with you, though, it probably is a little bit too much. Like, it probably is a little bit too ambitious because this is all about... It, it just directly ties into so much of this film that if you've never seen this film before, it means nothing. Yeah. It's like, what was that dragon about? <laughs> Why yeah. is that like a, a Chinese dragon breathing fire at the screen? There's a really strange bit after that dragon. I, I went back and tried to pause, but there's like a scene where you're like seeing like a, a, a man tied up or something. Yeah. It's very strange. I never really got what that was. Yeah, like somebody's in a tortured chair, I believe, yeah. at that bit. But I think that stuff kind of, they get a little bit confused here about trying to tell the story of Sky of this film and trying to tie in all those elements and simply going with this thematic stuff, which is, again, quite interesting idea of, you know, Skyfall touches upon, Skyfall the film touches upon the ideas of what makes Bond Bond and you're going to look into a little bit of his history. Although I would argue the film is actually about M and not really about this stuff, but that's that's for like four hours from now i suppose um but they kind of like the idea of this is like let's by moving forward we are going through bond's like psyche and past Mm. to kind of explain who bond is and as you say you kind of end on bond again because you've kind of gone through that journey and seen all these visuals that explain that so some of that is a lot of women of course and you see a lot of guns and knives falling and you see this mysterious house and you see red sometimes and you see like raining fire on the house and you see a load of graves and there's like skulls and you have a skull and the teeth are like graves so it's like women guns knives this stag and it goes black and white torture but then they just throw in like chinese dragons (laughs) (laughs) like i know why it's here because chinese dragons are in the film for like one scene and it is quite visually distinctive but i feel like they get confused between Let's have an opening sequence, which is all about kind of taking you through Bond's psyche and past to explain who Bond is, which is a really cool idea. And then let's just throw in random stuff that looks cool. And maybe yeah. if they just stuck to the first idea about Bond and who he is, and because that ties into the idea of the camera moving forward, that you're always going through these different layers, which is cool. That's awesome. I love a moving camera in these. And I love the idea of all of this. But yeah, let's just strip out some of that other stuff that just didn't need to be here because Chinese dragons have absolutely nothing to do with Bond. They just, <laughs> just went good. to China. So yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really a forming experience, I don't think. Yeah. And I guess we haven't really even mentioned about the song. There's not really much to say about the song from my part. I mean, it was it was a humongous hit. It was you know sung by Adele. You just heard it everywhere. This was like, I think this was where I really, everyone talked, like when we talked about um, 
uh, like A View to a Kill being a popular song back in the 80s or whatever. Obviously, that's before our time. But like this is that sort of similar thing where it's a, a huge artist or band in that case. And you just hear it everywhere. Like on the radios, it was just constantly being played. And I think, I mean, I like it. I'm, I'm a, I like Adele. I think her music's good. She's got a good voice. I think it's a good Bond song. Um, so like for me, great. Like check sounds great. But I, I think it could have been quite easily something that would have would have gone the other way for me if I'd like if I hadn't have liked it and then just heard it everywhere and <laughs> been like, oh my god, this song. Because you really could not avoid it. I remember that. Yeah, well, you couldn't avoid Adele in general around that yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I really like the song as well. It's an interesting one because we kind of had, with the Pierce Brosnan era, it was, well, the first three was all about, let's take that old Bond sound and modernize it for the 90s to make it sound modern. And then Madonna just did whatever the hell she wanted. I don't know what that was. I like it, but I don't know what it was. Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud. He he was involved. It was a whole thing. Um, so she went super experimental and weird, which kind of suits Die Another Day. And then it was kind of like, well, Craig's a new Bond, so let's go a little bit more rock with Casino Royale, you know my name. And then even Another Way to Die was trying to be like rocky while also it, it, like implementing some maybe more stylish Bond kind of sounds with piano and stuff. But this one really just sounds like, Adele, can you just write us a Bond song, please? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's leaning more on Adele than Bond, for sure. Yeah, this isn't like her adapting her style for Bond. This feels like just her doing her thing. And yeah, there's some adaption here. It still somewhat connects to Bond, and I think it works well as a Bond theme. But this is not like a traditional Bond theme. This is an Adele song, which is about James Bond. And that's fine. I think that's okay. I think my biggest problem with this song is that it kind of then changed the entire direction for these songs and the next two are just like using this template, which I don't like um, yes. using that template. Yes, um, that's true. But I think this still stands out as a really good one, a really kind of standout Bond song. Adele, as you say, has an incredible voice. Those pianos are really good and I think the sound of the song fits the song very well i'm always surprised how not big this song is i really expect adele to go like full tina turner or shirley bassey and just go a bit mental with it but even though it kind of tries to go big it kind of still sounds quite restrained which i Mm. quite like it makes it feel a little bit more nuanced because it is slow and then it does have the bigger chorus but it's not like a huge chorus it's still like she's still just kind of dragging out notes (laughs) it's not yeah, that in your face, um, which kind of creates this quite good feel to it. So, yeah, very good Bond song. It's a very different direction for it. It is, I think, the Duran Duran thing is very apt because it is a, a very different style. We have not heard a Bond song like this before. Maybe Moonraker is the closest we've heard. But even then, yeah. um, this is quite different. So, But for something that's different, it works. And I think in retrospect, it, in a lot of ways, it works better because Adele is not as big as she is now so you can just enjoy the song for what it is and yeah it did form the template i don't like but it formed the template because it's a really good song so yeah overall uh, a big thumbs up from me oh you're you are right about the template thing though it, that i mean we'll get to that but that is a shame you just reminded me of the next song <laughs> <laughs> anyway we're not there yet uh so back to skyfall um after the title sequence we uh we see MI6. We see the MI6 building. It's back. It's nighttime. Uh, it's raining. It's always raining in London, <laughs> apparently, in this film. Um, 
And it's M. M is in her office. It's kind of almost in the dark. There's like one lamp light on her desk and uh, she's at her laptop or at a computer uh, and she's writing Bond's obituary. You see her screen and there's Bond from, I think that's like Casino Royale Bond, a uh, photo of Daniel Craig and she's kind of writing up and, and you can see on the text that uh, according to my six, Bond is missing and believed killed. And uh, that's kind of it. I found it quite interesting, though, that he is described as a senior officer as well. Yeah. So there is an element of there has been some sort of time jump here. It's never really outright said, but but definitely is a major part of this film. But yeah, Bond's, Bond's dead, everyone. So sorry. <laughs> that's how this film goes. Uh, but yeah, after that, uh, we're in the daytime the next You're day. You're not going to mention the, a certain thing on her desk. Oh, do we see the bulldog as well? Yeah. Of course we do. Yeah, we see a little little porcelain bulldog thing on her desk as well. You have one of those, don't you? I do, yeah. Damn. Did you? I got, <sighs> the, I got the Spectre one, which is interesting because like the Sky... <laughs> this is such a tangent, but the Sky... So they released one for Skyfall, Spectre and No Time to Die. The Skyfall one is the one before it gets destroyed a little bit. The Spectre mm. one is the one that gets destroyed a bit, and then No Time to Die, I think it's just that again. Uh, but Skyfall, for the most part, it has been cracked and stuff. So even though I bought the Spectre one, it looks like the Skyfall one, because this is like the only time you see it clean like this. Yeah. Damn, I need to get one of those. <laughs> They're pretty good. <laughs> I really do. Um, so yeah, uh, the next day we're seeing, or presumably the next day, we're seeing M in in her uh, in her car being being driven and she's looking very sad as you would do if your favorite agent is presumed dead and she's being driven with Tanner and and we kind of hear that she's being driven uh to see a new chairman Tanner says been taken to this building which M is obviously not very happy about she's uh saying it's a bloody waste of time. We don't really know who this person is that she's seeing, but she's obviously not happy, but it's standard procedure. Tanner is there once again to to be the one to help explain to the audience what's going on, mainly his role in the film. And we then cut to sort of this, in the middle of this meeting with this new chairman, whoever this guy is, and it, uh, it's played by Ralph Bynes, I want to say is how you say his name, uh, Voldemort to a lot of people. And he's there in this office with them sitting down, Pouring her a drink, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. Straight away. Straight She's, away. With straight the away. Bourbon. She's got to have the bourbon. Uh, but she gets the shakes otherwise. So. <laughs> 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 oh, no, I feel quite sad for her now. Uh, but yeah, you can immediately tell that there's a bit of a kind of tension to this. Um, and she asks why she's been summoned there. And, and we get a little bit of background to what we just saw in the pre-title sequence. Um, and he explains the reason why. And that's because three months ago, so we've moved on three months, uh, MI6 lost a hard drive containing the identities of nearly all the NATO agents that were embedded in terrorist groups across the world. So, you know, they're trying to infiltrate terrorist groups has been leaked. And that's a pretty big deal. And M is uh, kind of standing her ground and and asking, what's the point of this civilian oversight, she asks, to which uh, this man, this chairman says, retirement planning so yes we're we're kind of seeing m here start to be pressured to leave pressured to retire and he says that you know when she does retire she'll be given full honors um but she is effectively just 
being fired uh, with the state of MI6 and and the the mistakes they've made. Um, and his role in all of this is to oversee this uh, transitionary period to her voluntary retirement. And we do learn his name. I think she says, like, I'm not an idiot, Mallory. This is Mallory, this chairman, who was in the film quite a lot. Um, but, you know, yeah, as I say, she's standing her ground. She says she doesn't want to leave MI6 in a worse shape than when she found it. And Mallory is trying to kind of persuade her still uh, that she should leave with dignity and you get a nice M line to hell with dignity. I'll leave when the job is done, she says. And yeah, so it's kind of setting up as as Tom said, this is very much as much of it is a film about Bond. It's probably more so a film about M. And this is kind of setting the the path in motion for for what is what is happening. This is this is M's storyline in the film is that old versus new that's a huge part of this thematically is kind of the knowing when your time is up and and or the kind of yeah being being replaced being well i guess not up to scratch <laughs> in your job for her and for bond as we'll see so there's one also just one thing as well i really like is i can't remember who did the music for this film you might know with your it's thomas Wikipedia. newman yeah and i have issues with thomas newman Mainly, oh, related, you're mainly related to Spectre. Not Hear so much that, Newman? He's coming for you. <laughs> Don't Watch come out. for me, no. No, I'm sorry. Um, Joe's got beef. <laughs> no, in this film, I like it. I like him. Uh, and I, you you hear, kind of as all this is, is playing out, you hear what's happening to M, um, and addressing her age, I suppose, is one of the big things. Uh, you hear these horns in the background, and the, very much a recurring motif is these very soft horns that start to kind of rise. And that's almost M's, MI6's theme in this film. And it does come back a few times, one very important time later on. Um, and it kind of has this weight to it. Uh, and yeah, like this is like quite a big start to the film where you're you're realising that all these characters, I mean, this, this Judy Dench has been in the film since 1995. Like this is this is her on her way out. And you're seeing this, other character Mallory who's being played for quite a nasty guy at the beginning um yeah it's quite an interesting start to the film it, oh yeah I mean this whole opening is fantastic it's uh I don't want to go too overboard but the more I think about this part of the film the more I like it the more mm. I think it's so good so straight away like Bond we don't know what's happened to Bond we know he's not probably dead but it makes sense that we would spend some time with M and because of M being a big part of this film, it totally makes sense that we just get this sequence of just spending time with M and they just do so many small things to make it feel a little bit more personal. Like, yeah, like it's at night, it's raining, M is inside her office and the lighting goes back to what we saw with Campbell whenever he did like M in the office, which is more like kind of warm yellow lighting. But in this one, it almost looks like the blacker is up like the blacks are blacker almost it's not one-to-one -one the same but you do kind of get that real great sense of like warmth but not warmth almost yeah and then we kind of just continue on m it's not just m doing this it's we continue following her and what she's doing we never cut away so we are really just seeing this all from m's perspective and this whole kind of division that we see is done through what we see on screen so when M is sitting down with Mallory initially the camera starts on their side and they're sitting in chairs opposite each other and we're just cutting between M and Mallory but again it just stays on the side so it is 
naturally more combative between the two. But we're getting a lot of story explanation. We're getting Manary be set up because he's talking to M while also still being M's story. But they kind of do that visually between the two. But then what I love is that as soon as he says retirement planning, for the first time in the scene, it then cuts to a shot directly at M's face. And she doesn't really react to the line. But the fact that we are then seeing it makes it feel more personal and that we are kind of going along for the ride with M. And even though, again, she doesn't really react all that much, but it kind of signifies that this is something different and this is something a little bit more personal because we are seeing a direct shot of her because she hears about retirement. And as you say, the horns then play as well. And it's just all these little things that build into the scene. And it then kind of ends with a nice moment, as you say, where it's like, um, yeah, to hell. (laughs) Shit, Mallory's like, you've had a hell of a run you should leave with dignity and say, oh, to hell with dignity. It's like, oh, it's perfect. Mm. It's just perfect. Like, there's just a real smart sense. Like, this is something I praise GoldenEye for, where there, there was just so much thought put into it and trying to be multi-purpose in terms of just, like, good filmmaking, in terms of making you feel certain things and reinforcing the themes and the idea of a scene which then tie into the film to make it all come together in a satisfying and interesting way. And straight off the bat, we get that. A more personal sense of M that's done through lighting, that's done through music, that's done through like the composition and the shots and the way it's framed and the way it jumps between it. And it's just like, oh, it's just such a breath of fresh air compared to Quantum of Solace once again. It's just great. Like, no matter what you think of Sam Mendes, he, he puts a lot into his films and he thinks about it a lot. And straight away getting this type of scene, you're just like, okay, this is someone who can make a good film. Um, just like we saw with GoldenEye in Martin Campbell. So as basic as this all kind of is, it's extremely exciting to me because it's just so much care has been put into what is ultimately quite simple. Yeah, it's it's setting up M's own battle so early on, which... You kind of need when it is so such a character and, and it's going to play out throughout the whole film. It, this can't be something that's rushed. So I'm glad they do it here. And I think credit has to be given to... Um, I actually had to look up the cinematographer because as I was watching this film, I was like, good Lord, there is just so many uh, kind of indulgent shots in this film. And you're right, like composition-wise, some things are just so simple but so well done. So Roger Deakins was the cinematographer on this film. And I think... There's like clearly he knows what he's doing because there's really, there really is just some great shots in this film. Um, but yeah, after that meeting with Mallory, we see M in the car looking quite pensive, kind of I guess digesting what she just heard. She's being driven with Tanner once again, and um, Tanner gets a phone call next to her in the back seat, and it's a, a Q branch alert. So there's our, our first mention of Q branch as well um, is back and. Apparently, someone is trying to decrypt the the stolen hard drive that we've just heard about. So they, they've been able to trace that. And so he gets on his laptop, Tanner, and starts to kind of focus in on it and, and track it down and realizes that where it's being decrypted is in London. And then it kind of goes a bit, zooms in further, and it's actually the MI6 building. And then it goes even closer, and it's actually M's own computer at her desk is the one that's decrypting this somehow. Um, and by this point, they've realized that whoever's doing this is behind their their security, behind their firewall. And at which point M says, shut it down. 
um, stop this. And when he tries to do that on the screen of the laptop, you get this uh, almost like hacking where the screen takes over and it's this creepy video of like the the UK flag and this seemingly like older photo of M in the middle laughing and then it all burns away. It's a creepy version of like Rule Britannia or something as well. And yeah, as this all burns away, there's a message on the screen and it just says, think on your sins is all it says. So yeah, that's uh, something to think about what what is going on. And as they reach MI6, because they, they are driving, well, I think they say like get back to office. So they're, they're driving towards the MI6 building, but eventually the car is forced to slow down and stop as there's like all these police cars and policemen blocking the way. <laughs> and M gets out, which is all grumpy. I was like, for God's sake, just get out the way. <laughs> don't you, don't you recognize the car? <laughs> um, and as she goes up to a policeman, presumably to start moaning some more. Uh, as they're on the bridge, you can see the MI6 building in the background and it just explodes like a part of it just explodes. Like at the top is a huge explosion, um, big fireball. And it's kind of kind of comes from nowhere. There's no build up to it. There's no tension. It's just played very, very straight. They look up M looks up and she sees the building explode. And yeah, MI6 is, uh, has been compromised. So and once again, I should add London still looking very grey and very miserable. Yeah, which sounds like London to me. It does. I like the idea of like... <laughs> you could totally edit... You know, we talked about it with the World Is Not Enough episode where so much of that is in this film. But the idea of Pierce Brosnan just running through MI6, like, get out the way! Get out the way! <laughs> like, that's happening while M is on the bridge. Because <laughs> that scene was so good. Oh, I'd have loved that. <laughs> Although but people did make... die, Tom. People did ah. die. Well, yeah, that one guy, <laughs> that one rich guy did. Uh, but it does make you think about how much more seriously this takes that, which makes it kind of hit a little bit more. As you say, it's a lot more subdued. It's yeah. not this big moment where Bond is running through trying to stop the explosion. It's just something's going on and something's not quite right. And then it just explodes and M just kind of has to deal with it. It's done almost in this very mundane way, but... Uh, did you notice when that picture of M in the Union Jack, she was wearing a crown and the crown is the MI6 building? Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's a very small thing because it just looks like a crown on first fall. So I think it, I always saw it as like, oh, she's meant to look like the queen or something. But no, it's actually just the MI6 building that they've just curved. So it like fits on her head like a hat. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's nice. yeah. I thought that was quite neat. Uh, but once again, this is like the same with the other one we're following m the whole time and i love the final shot of this where m is looking up at the building yeah because it's like again she's right in the middle and she's looking up and i think somebody like standing there looking up like that there is a like natural sense of powerlessness that you get from that like they don't have to show a like they don't have to do too much with it. They just frame the camera in a way where it's zoomed in right on her face. Her reaction is actually quite muted, but because she's looking up, it just reinforces the theme of she is losing control here and is more kind of like looking up at something, you know, like a child would to to an adult. It, it's a little bit like that. So again, they're still kind of injecting this stuff in there. And also I really like the idea of, because we find out later that this was all kind of set up to be very specific. And... It's something that I didn't really think about until just now, that obviously whoever did this has people in the police. 
so would have set up the police like the police to stop M specifically because you never find out why the police are actually there. Oh my, yeah, that is wow. I did not even. I don't know why I assumed the police were there. That's a really good point. Yeah, because just as they go to explain it, they get cut off. But then we find out later that this was all very deliberate, and whoever did this yeah. controls the police. So it all clicks. It all makes sense, which is so. Oh, I love when films do that. It's so satisfying. That is very satisfying. Mm. That's like a movie details thing there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, MI6 is not looking too hot. Well, actually, it's looking very hot at that moment. But uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. So we go from that, from the very dramatic moment, to uh, we cut to this like very tropical looking hut. And it's Bond. We see Bond, although he's very silhouetted. And he is there making love to a beautiful woman against the wall. Um, so he's not dead, everyone. Don't oh, worry. Right. We have got the rest of the film with Daniel. But Cain I thought there. he got dragged into the thing and then there was a dragon. No, in the, that, the... that was Bond's mind. Oh, right. That was all his mind. Don't worry. Don't worry. So, yeah, first look is like, oh, Bond is back with a beautiful woman. He's fine. He's fine. And as I say, it's like it, it looks fairly tropical. It looks quite warm um, and nice. Back to normal old Bond, you might think. And then, no, uh, it pulls the rug from beneath you. You cut once again to afterwards and Bond and this woman are in bed together. And it just looks so depressing. Bond is laying in bed. Uh, he's got a bottle of Heineken in his hand. He's oh, so a... <laughs> depressing. <laughs> I know. God. <laughs> Come on, Bond. Um, so, yeah, like he's having a, a, a swig of that and this woman is like kissing him on the shoulder he doesn't care he's not even paying any attention to her it's just gone from being quite warm to incredibly blue and cold and sad and he also looks terrible um he looks like daniel craig bond looks really gaunt he looks almost like ill uh in a way and he's just sort of staring off a thousand yard stare into the distance it's like this is definitely not the bond that we are used to seeing you know, uh, stubble as well. It's quite the cut. Yeah. And also like this then leads into Bond taking some pills. Yeah. We assume for some pain, but a very cool detail here is that Bond stands in front of a mirror to take the pills like you would in like a bathroom or something, but he never looks in the mirror the entire time. Oh, he just never that. makes eye contact with himself in the mirror. So you just see the mirror and the camera's looking at the mirror and you just see Bond the whole time just taking these pills and stuff and looking terrible. Never looks at himself and then walks away. And that's so good. So Can't good. bear to look at himself. That's so yeah. smart, especially because later on we do see a mirror and he does look at himself once he's, you know, back being 007 again. But now that he isn't that, he he's just depressed and we get that through those small things. It's just like, oh, I'd love love this film it that i mean the devil's in the detail right like that's the stuff that doesn't seem like i mean I, to be fair i didn't pick up on that but like i it's one of those things where like your brain your your brain notices it <laughs> you know what i mean yeah it's, it's like um, it attacks it's trying to sell something and it sells it to you in five different ways and even if you only pick up on two of them like the rest subconsciously go in like you don't need to yeah. pick up on all of them and that's just good filmmaking yeah yeah so yeah, as Tom says, he goes and pops some pills, presumably some painkillers. And after that, we we cut to nighttime and Bond's walking along a beach, uh, heading towards a, a very kind of lively, warm bar, a very busy bar, very loud music's playing. Um, and then we see him 
uh, at the bar and he's surrounded by yeah big crowd of people he's smack bang in the middle and he's at the bar playing a kind of drinking game i presume or some sort of challenge some sort of bet i think people are probably betting around him where he is he's got his his glass and he's also got a scorpion <laughs> perched on his hand and he has to kind of bring the glass to his mouth and drink with the the scorpion right there and at one point it sort of moves and looks like it's about to attack and he downs his drink and throws it down and and covers the scorpion with his with his glass and yeah so you're kind of getting this idea that you know bond is very very uh distant from you know his usual his usual life is is doing this for the thrill i suppose he needs some sort of thrill in his life so he's he's playing these games and maybe just doesn't really care about the consequences necessarily because uh, you have to presume this is a very dangerous scorpion on his hand um <laughs> he's I got like... a knife that's why yeah. it's so dangerous. <laughs> he's a terrorist he's um, part of specter <laughs> stingy uh, but but yeah i will say i i like i do like that idea and as i said i like the the ideas behind that of like oh you know he's 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 just looking for something to fill his time with, with whatever he's doing here, because we don't really know what's happened. Um, however, the CGI scorpion really does get to me. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't like the CGI scorpion. Sorry. Uh, yeah. It's not a big deal, but there's another CGI animal later in this film, and the same thing. I think, I don't know. I feel like it's really not that bad, but when there's everything else in this film looks so beautiful... And the, the shots and the vistas and everything, those things to me just really stick out um, and just take me away a little bit. Hmm. I know what you mean. I I didn't get that this time, but I was watching it on a somewhat smaller screen. But I do remember having the same thoughts in the cinema. Because yeah. I said how the opening sequence, they're using CGI and finally technology is caught up. But during this era in the early 10s is when like people were like, it's, we should stop using animals for films. Yes. It's kind of messed up. It's not okay. So they then start using CGI for all of this stuff, which personally I think that's a great move. But of course, using CGI for these animals hasn't quite kept uh, caught up yet. Arguably in the year 2023, we're still not quite there because it's so difficult. Um, I think nowadays I just kind of expect animals in films to look like this due to the last 10 years. So for yeah. me, I don't mind it because I expect an animal in a film to look a little bit often CGI-y. Um, but I, I do know what you mean. It is a, it's not quite there. You don't buy it's a scorpion. Really. No, not at all. I, I, I was thinking about this and like, well, could they not have done this idea in a different way? I'm not. So, I mean, my mind immediately went to like Russian roulette. That's a bit. That's a bit much. That's a bit strong. But you know, that idea of something that Bond is doing as a big risk, uh, or I don't know, like a, like a thing, you know, the knife finger thing, or something that doesn't involve CGI to still put across that point, but you know what, it's fine. It's a small moment, so we'll we'll move on past it. Um, yeah, so because I also see this scene as... Um, because, you know, they're, they're kind of displaying Bond as being depressed and not happy despite yeah. being in his element, like, yeah. with the women and drinking and stuff. So I kind of see this as that as well, that he is the centre of the tension around a bar and everyone is, like, cheering and super happy, but he still seems really not okay so I feel like part of this is also uh, the crowd and everything they're doing to kind of mm. create this stark contrast that despite him being in this really bar with a lot of great people and just like smiling and happiness and stuff, that's not where he is at. 
Um, so I kind of see this scene as that as well. I think you're right. It is about him trying to taking risks and not really caring anymore. But I think it's also to create the contrast of like, here's a man who is not happy, but he is surrounded by it, which makes him being depressed even more stand out because he is surrounded by everyone being incredibly happy which i think gets reinforced when the scene ends because it's like a hard cut into the scene and then it's a hard cut out of the scene oh yeah for sure so yeah it, everyone's cheering he's done it the music's still playing cut we're in the morning now everyone's gone it's gone from being bright warm colors to again cold blue there's a sea behind him um music stopped Bond is alone, sat at the bar. He's been there all night and it just looks pathetic. He looks sad. He's like a fallen man. He he throws some money behind the bar and grabs a bottle, pours himself a drink. And it's, yeah, you're right. Like he's clearly, <laughs> he's, he's basically just trying to, uh, he's in denial. Like he's, he's kind of pushed back, like just just try and fill that void of anything. And, and now he's, he's back on his own again. Um, and as he sat at the bar, there's a there's a TV in the background and kind of being reflected in the mirror. And he sees that it's a news report. And it's uh, I think it's actually a real like Wolf Blitzer from like CNN or something. Yeah, CNN um, news. I think they say CNN. Do they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, a news report on uh, a major terrorist attack in London, he's saying. And they suspect it's a, a cyber terrorist assault on uh, the Secret Service and start saying that there's like six dead, more injured. And that obviously causes Bond to turn around and you just see him kind of deeply stare, kind of similar to what we just saw with M when she was looking at MI6. Bond's doing the same, a big close-up of a Bond looking at the TV screen. So there's like very obvious parallels there. Yeah, I think there's so much you could talk about about this idea with Bond being kind of depressed here. Um, so he won't. <laughs> um, okay. That's maybe a whole other thing. <laughs> Bye. Uh, but no, I find this idea in- extremely interesting about who is Bond if he's not an agent? Because normally, even when he leaves the service, he has a he does it for a reason to get his man. He's a man on a mission. He's on the edge. He can't be stopped, and he never really left anyway. J.K. guys, like it's it's usually that. But this is like no, he actually has left, and it's like who is Bond without his job? And the answer is nobody. <laughs> yeah, or a woman. Or a woman he might leave for, like, you know... With yes, Leslie yeah, without... With yeah, like, Vesper. yeah, I guess with Vespa, there was a reason... Yeah, you're right. Uh, with Vespa, there was a reason for that. And he was kind of reinventing himself to be with her. And on the Majesty Secret Service as well, there's a little bit of that. But this one, like, he doesn't have anyone and he's left and it's just nothing. And that's incredibly interesting. Like, lots of things you could kind of think about that. And But I will say in this film's credit, where it's like it drops all these kind of ideas, it does enough to sell it, because again, this is very multi-purpose, smart filmmaking, but we kind of move on from this afterwards. Like, it has a direct effect on the rest of the film, and the theming of the film, yes, but we do not spend a whole, like, two hours of Bond just being depressed and sad. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, like, he... This is like him being reborn, almost. Like, he loses complete sense of who he is and what what it means to be him and he kind of has to build that back up but he's not being depressed and sad about it like he does it in his own bond way so it's like we talked a lot about balance with the character over a lot of these episodes because yes you can do new ideas with bond but if you don't balance out correctly then it's not bond anymore and if you go it the other way then it's not an interesting idea and it's bland um so i like the idea that they're 
putting this stuff in there, building a kind of backup. You know, you see Bond get re-energized almost when he hears about an MI6 attack. It's like almost like, oh, I'm back. Oh, what's going on there? Mm. Um, and I like that it's kind of putting these ideas out there, building it into the theming of the film, but it's not ultimately a heavy-handed like answering those questions is just kind of part of what this film is um if that makes sense it's it's a bit of a tease of of uh literary bond i suppose i mean that is one of the things that everyone talks about is that as as depressing and bleak as some of the craig films are that's nothing compared to what fleming actually wrote but that's the thing is like you can get away with that sort of stuff in a book you can have the time to go through all that stuff um a film you just can't like you can't have a whole film of bond moping around depressed and as you say they they give you just enough just enough to then make the journey worth it but i'm glad they didn't dwell on it too much i think less is more in this case yeah and i think yeah i guess i don't want to go into a big discussion about craig's bond as a whole but I like that they are reinventing some of this stuff, bringing some elements from the book, doing something different, while still trying to feel like Bond. Like, it's very difficult balance to have. And overall, they've done it kind of extremely well, even if all the films have not been stellar. Um, but I really appreciate them, like, injecting these ideas, but still clearly having respect for the for the character. This is just yeah. a new version of it that is focusing on different parts of, of the character. Yeah. So with that, we cut to London and we cut inside this building where we see, I think it's actually more than six coffins. I didn't count them, but the news, the CNN news report said six people are dead from the MI6 attack. But I want to say actually there was more than six coffins in this room. Mm, I guess um, more died. Oh dear. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we have a row of coffins and we have those more horns again, the MI6 horns, the somber horns. Um, and we see that that M is at the end off these coffins and kind of looking at them and looking quite sad and tana enters from the other side of the room and says it's time to go mom and m says i'm going to find whoever did this um looking very mournful uh which again another very smart detail that tana is on the opposite side of the room of m there's just this like implied distance between them because of the weight that she shares and mm. the responsibility she feels from it it's like giving her this like emotional and physical distance it's oh Wow, good stuff. <laughs> uh, so we then cut to a, a car somewhere in London. It pulls up to the street outside of a house and it's raining, everybody. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Eb is then let out of the car, given an umbrella. She enters inside alone. You assume this is her house and she turns on the light and goes straight for the bourbon, straight to the drink. <laughs> not even a second thought. I'm surprised it's not by the door. Uh, with she how needs one of those like... It. She needs one of those, like, uh, hats with, like, the cans in it, like, and then the straws coming down. So she's, <laughs> oh, she's always got bourbon to sip on when she needs it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so, yes, so she goes for the bourbon and then she kind of sees there's a shadowy figure by the window. And for a split second, she's surprised and then instantly becomes calm. And is like, where the hell have you been? And the shadowy figure says, enjoying death. 007 reporting for duty. So M turns on the light and we see Bond holding a bottle of spirit, looking quite terrible still. And M says, oh, did you run out of drink where you was? And then Bond starts talking about the day Bond got shot and he's all like, what did you say? Take the bloody shot. 
And then they go, kind of go back and forth on this. So M says, I made a judgment call. Bond says, you should have trusted me to finish the job. And M says, it was the possibility of using losing you or losing all the other agents that were on that drive. And Bond says, you lost your nerve. So M talks about, well, you know the rules of the game. You've been playing it long enough. Of which Bond says, well, maybe too long. Of which M replies, speak for yourself. So Bond asks about Ronson. Did he make it? M says he didn't. Confirms that. A little bit of a stare. And Bond talks about them both being played out. Of which leads to M saying, well, if you're played out, why did you come back? And Bond says it's uh, because we're under attack. And yeah, we're under attack. So M talks about, well, if you want to come back, you're going to need to be debriefed. We have the tests and you need to pass the tests or take them seriously because you need to pass those to come back into service. And Bond says, that's fine. I'll go and change. And M then says, oh, we've sold your flat. Put your things into storage. And Bond looks visibly a bit shocked and upset. And M says, well, it's standard procedure for someone who's unmarried and has no next of kin. Next of kin. It's like, oh, you should have called. And then Bond <laughs> says, I'll go get a hotel. And she's like, well, you're bloody well not staying here. Um, and that's <laughs> the end of that scene. That's M's word of the film is bloody. In fact, loads of people. That's the film. The word of the whole film is just bloody. It's great. Love it's that So word. many times, yeah. So, yeah, so this is when, like, first of all, M and Bond chatting again always great i think there's always uh there's like an implied weight to how important this is because bond broke into m's house again <laughs> yeah again <laughs> again which i know it's only been like this is only the third film in the craig era but i do feel like that in itself does have a little bit of weight behind it that this is something special because bond is in her house um and you just get some good back and forth here like judy dench and bond like craig and yeah, Craig and Judy Dench, great chemistry. Em and Bond always entertaining to go back and forth and Bond being annoyed about what happened there and them kind of going through it, but doing it in their like stilted way where they just go back and forth and then move on. Um, and yeah, this is when they, yeah, they talk a lot about them kind of being older and them being past it potentially. I really like that Bond in, in his head at this point of the time says... Oh, I'm trying to see it in my notes to make sure I get it right. Where, yeah, yeah, Bond says about playing the game for too long, and M says speaks for yourself, which I think is just so smart in terms of where these characters are at. Where we have M, who's being forced out with a retirement, but is still very much passionately clinging on to do her job, which we saw in the last scene because she's like, "I'm going to find whoever did this," and she talks about to hell with dignity with Mannery. and then Bond, who we saw in the last scene, which is all just depressed and lost himself a little bit and feels like he has been doing this for too long and has lost his place in the world. So that gets injected here. Um, yeah, the age thing is a little bit off, um, but yeah. still very entertaining stuff. I like that it ends with a little bit of comedy. So it's something that Bond films always juggle very well. We get the serious stuff, the back and forth, the character moments, and then we also get some comedy as well. So uh, overall, very good, entertaining scene, which is what we kind of have come to expect when it comes to Bond and M in the franchise. I'm. I would be lying if I if I said that. I well, basically the whole the whole age thing and the time thing is something that people like to bring up a lot with this film, and how and I I remember I'm I'm uh, I, I'm guilty of this as well. I've done the same thing. I've said. Oh, it's stupid how they went from 
Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, which is a sequel, then straight to Bond being old and past it. And that, that frustrated me. And I still think that's, it, it is a bit frustrating. I, I would have loved if there was maybe one film in between this and Quantum of Solace where it was just Bond being Bond. Mm. Um, but you have to, uh, you know, that's all well and good. But the things, the themes that this film then can do by having this element and acknowledging M's age, Judy Dench's age, and tying it to Bond is very clever. Um, so, like, I before I was very much against it, and I, I still am a tiny bit, but I think I can. I'm in a position now where I can see more of the the benefits of it. Um, and yeah, like you say, where they are, they're kind of tying these two characters together. Because uh, yeah, M's fighting her own battle, and she's very adamant to to carry on fighting it, and. Yeah, we did see Bond is willing to somewhat drop off the face of the earth and realise that it's awful and he actually hates it. And so he comes back. And just by him coming back is him also fighting his own battle as well uh, and and coming back from it. So, yeah, it it kind of puts them as like the partners of the film, uh, especially as we come to see. And I think it's really good. we, We talked a little bit about... M being involved in the world is not enough and how the Electra stuff and the history she had. This film just does it and does it better. And you kind of like it's it's there's more reasoning to it and there's just more thought put into it. Uh it's it's great. I love it. And I'm I'm so glad that we got this film with Judy Dench before she left. So <laughs> I'm a happy man. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you said about coming around with this kind of old stuff <laughs> because i think everyone goes through that i remember going through that when i first saw this film in the cinema i was like that was a really good film what the bloody hell was all that age stuff about <laughs> yeah it's not yeah. that old have you seen a few to a kill he's all right <laughs> he's still got like 10 films in him don't worry about it um yeah which i shouldn't compare it to that i think i've said this before that's not a fair comparison but i do think yeah i think there's so much other stuff to kind of focus on here where like ultimately it's fine and I mostly see it now at this point as not really about age. I see it more as in just Bond getting out of the game and trying to go back into the game. And I think something, there's like a few things that you can kind of help justify some of this stuff. I think the first one is that, as you say, they put the senior commander thing in there. And this has been six years since the offense of Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. Like, yes. It was 2006 when um, Casino Royale came out, and then two years later, 2008, Quantum of Solace, then four years till this one. But those two films take place at the same time, so that would have been 2006. Um, So it's actually been six years, and they talk a lot, or they mention in Casino Royale about double O agents have a very short lifespan. So relative to this job and this role, he is old. Like, he is old for an agent, especially because he would have been doing a lot of Asian work before he made a double O because clearly he had some sort of relationship with M before that point. So obviously he was doing a ton of work before that point and then he just became a double O and now we've had six years of him being a double O and yes, with some of the older Bond films, that doesn't feel like that long, but I feel like with this version of Bond, that probably is quite a long time. Um, So I am twisting things a bit to make this fit a little bit. But I think there's enough there to sell this kind of idea. And it's not supposed to be that he's super old. He's just more like compared to what the world is becoming. He's more out of date. 
and has lost his place in the world is how I see it. Which is something that we got a little bit in GoldenEye. It's that same sort of filming, the theming of him being like a dinosaur and out of place and maybe not really being so relevant anymore. And does he have a place in this? Where GoldenEye kind of had that idea and didn't go as all in with it with this one. I feel like that's more what it's supposed to be about. Him coming out of the game, coming back into a game and suddenly he doesn't fit into it anymore and trying to find that place which we see a lot in the film so for me yes my initial reaction was this old stuff is stupid but the more i think about it and as you say the the ideas of the films are really strong it it does all kind of work i wish a line here or two was tweaked to make this fit a little bit better but i still think it's incredibly strong idea and as you say i think a lot of this is more m's film so that ties quite well into her storyline and that storyline totally makes sense for him. So <laughs> it's all great stuff. Uh, and it kind of, yeah, again, I wish a few things were tweaked, but I'm at peace with it and I can really enjoy the the theming of this film as is. Yeah, and, and not even not even just Bond being out of the game and and uh, antiquated, is it widens that to MI6. With with M, that is M's storyline, uh, because as we as we're going to see, MI six makes a lot of mistakes, and so you are you are kind of given that. Well, you're shown the idea that maybe they aren't needed. Maybe maybe the 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 way they are acting is is not adequate anymore. So yeah, that, uh, it would have worked if it was just Bond. I think like what you were saying just then. I think that would have been absolutely fine, but the way that they do tie into to sort of a slightly wider story of Bond and M and MI6. Very good. Ambitious, but I think they, so far, they, you know, they, they put it off. Yes, which also ties into the villain for where we get there, which is always just, again, satisfying filmmaking when everything ties into each other um, and kind of has a point. Yeah. Um, so we cut to Bond in the back of a car being driven around London, and they go through a gate with some armed guards either side and they go into a tunnel and we see Tanner is at the front of the car and he kind of explains what happened with the explosion. He said someone kind of hacked into our system, turned on the gas, so then it was only a matter of time until it exploded. And he also explains how, well, they hacked into M's files, so they knew all her schedule. So Bond then concludes, well, whoever did this wanted M to see it. So this was a very personal attack here. They weren't trying to kill M. They were trying to give M some sort of warning or wanted her to see this go down. And they then kind of go through all these tunnels. And I can't remember what exactly gets said here. I think Bond might be saying, like, "Who? Are, where are we going? Something like that. And then we get one of the best lines in the film for me. Tanner's just like, new digs. New digs. Yeah. New digs. <laughs> it's like Tanner is not a cool character in the slightest. But, no. Which is why I'm surprised that it sounds actually pretty good coming out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a little bit of a, a redemption there for all of his mistakes and silly lines. Yeah, yeah, but that is always one of the lines, like one of the most memorable lines to me in the in the film. Similar to what we got in Casino Royale with Felix, where it's just like I'm bleeding chips. <laughs> I remember this new digs line in the exact same way. Ah, uh, I see. But that's why I want from these films. It's what I got from GoldenEye as well. Like, yeah, I want the memorable, great moments. But having all these like little bit of dialogue that's that us like 
not bad, of course, but just a little bit different, a little bit unique, delivered in like an odd way. That's also going to make me appreciate your film because I'm going to be thinking about that for years. Yeah. Uh, so eventually they kind of go through the tunnels and they arrive at this big metal door underground and Tanner explains how, well, the old building we were in, it was deemed too vulnerable. So we're on war footing now. So they enter and they say, these are like old tunnels from World War II. These are tunnels that Churchill would have used uh, back during that one to kind of hide from bombings and things like that. And Tanner then kind of mentions Mannery to Bond because Bond doesn't know who Mannery is. So he explains like, yeah, there's a new person, uh, Gareth Mallory. Uh, and then Tanner also says, welcome to the new MI6. And Bond overlooks on this like little balcony over a busy floor of people working in this big kind of underground area, a lot of arches. It's again, a very wartime uh, British bunker type of vibe. So we then cut to Bond on a treadmill and we have Tanner explaining about a, there was a computer message sent to M, but we couldn't track it. And then we cut to Bond doing crunches and then Tanner is still speaking and he's saying, well, we think it might be someone from M's past who did this. Uh, because it seemed personal. So maybe it was someone from when she was working in Hong Kong. Which okay. <laughs> it's one of those where it's like, well, that's weird you mention it. So I guess that's true then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. But I wanted to ask you this. Didn't they mention in the past that M used to work in Hong Kong before taking this role? Oh, I, that, mm, I can't remember that. Oh, I want to say it was uh, maybe not. But when I heard that line about M working in Hong Kong... I want to say there was something like in Goldeneye or something, or maybe it was in The World Is Not Enough, where this was already mentioned that Judy Dench's M at some point did work in Hong Kong. Oh, I really would like if that is true. I, 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 as I say, I can't remember, but that would be a nice little callback. I don't remember either. These films are too bloody long, too bloody, ma- <laughs> too many bloody of hell. them. Take the bloody shot. Take the bloody shot. <laughs> oh. How the hell does he know these things? <laughs> uh, but I feel like it was, but I should, probably should have looked that up. I was hoping you would know. Uh, uh, no, sorry. If it was, it was a throwaway line. Uh, but yeah, so, and then we cut again, Tanner's still talking to Bond, but this time he's doing pull-ups and Tanner is saying like, we have no idea who took the list and what they plan to do with it. And Tanner then says, I can do this later if you want. And Bond stops and he's like, you know what? Let's. So everybody leaves. And then Bond just kind of like falls to the floor and just sits underneath the bar all alone. Um, I guess hammering the theme of Bond being a little bit weak and a little bit alone and isolated still. So very small, quick shot there. Mm. So then we cut to Bond shooting at a target in a target range. As if when we cut to it, it's cut and then instant fire. So it instantly is the gunshot. And we see that he has missed. He's gone slightly to the side of the target's head. And he kind of like looks around, sees a man not reacting to that, just kind of like watching. And he kind of rubs his shoulder. He re-aims his right arm. And his arm is shaking. And he misses again. So he gets annoyed and just starts walking forward and firing and shooting. And the two men who are there just have no reaction. But yeah, then he stops. So then we cut again. And so this is Bond doing all the tests. So I mentioned before, like you'll need to pass the test to get back into active service. So this is Bond doing those tests. So we did the physical. Now he's doing the shooting. And now we're going to go to the interview. So we cut to Bond entering an interview room. There's a big, like very classic interview room. 
There's a man on there cleaning his glasses, a, quite like a professor, that sort of bloke psychologist. And we see there's a big pane of glass and we see M, Tanner and Mallory behind those glass and Bond sits down. So the psychologist says, I want to do some word associated uh, association. Um, so he's like, as an example, I'll say day and Bond says wasted. <laughs> quite a nice line. <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. I'm uh, an agent. No. Uh. <laughs> because, yeah, you kill people. It's a yeah. thing. Uh, so we then go through this quite quick. So the psychologist says gun, Bond says shoot. The guy says agent, Bond says provocateur. The guy says woman, he says provocatrix. Which is a word, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> very creative, Bond. Yeah. Uh, got, got a bit clever there, Bond. Um, yeah. So the psychologist says heart, Bond says target. The guy says bird, Bond just stops and is like sky. And then the psychologist says M and Bond says bitch. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, I love that it does cut to her. It's like, mm, no, really. <laughs> Mallory just looking over across at her like, oh, did you see that? <laughs> yeah, and just no reaction oh, from oh. <laughs> Tanner behind M was like, oh, <laughs> got him, got her. <laughs> Sick. Uh, yeah, I do always love those little moments, though, because there's always like, you know, they depict Bond and M as almost like this son and mother sort of thing. They don't go too far with it, thankfully, because they don't want them to. But, you know, there there is this built in trust between the two. And sometimes it kind of means like a family. They just lash out at each other. But there's yeah. almost like this understanding from M. It's like, yeah, Bond's just had a bad day. Yeah. He just needs it. a nap. He's just a bit tired. He's <laughs> just cranky. Yeah, so Bond is just kind of lashing out because again there is this trust. So it's it's I really appreciate that there's no reaction from M. That she's not there like, oh, goodness, like after all I've done for hit like no no no. She's like, fine. Like no reaction. Yep, of course he would. It's Bond. No. She's a professional. Yeah. And yeah. she's just to hell with dignity, she says. Yeah. Uh, so then we go back to the word association. So it's sunlight, Bond says swim. Moonlight, Bond says dance, he says murder, he says employment, and then he says skyfall. And Bond just doesn't respond, just kind of looks at him. So the psychologist says skyfall again, and Bond just says done. And then he gets up and leaves, he looks at the mirror because he knows they're behind them, and just walks out the door. And then Mallory turns to M, is like, well, this is going well. Um, So... Yeah, like that's Bond's doing the tests. It's it's once again like they they really want to get more into Bond's like state of mind and who the character is, and I always really appreciate the ways they find to do that without it being too laboured. So once again, we get very direct. Let's look into the mind of Bond with this word association, but we're gonna kind of put in some ideas that we already kind of know. Like about murder, employment, like, yeah, he's a bit of a psycho, uh, as we know. But then they put in some humor as well uh, with insulting M and, and stuff like that. It's like, it's it, it does a lot with a little. And that's exactly what like a good Bond scene needs to do when it comes to let's kind of dive into this character a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, uh, a an obvious thing to to use as a little set piece is this because you you have to imagine these agents have these tests and it's something that we never really have seen before is bond going through these tests like that and it's an easy way to get some of bond's psyche on screen very visually 
Um, as you say, I don't think it's done terribly uh, detailed, but that's not what this film is about. Like, you can't, you're not going to go terribly complex. I'm not actually evaluating uh, Bond's, like, we're not laying him down on a <laughs> on a chalange and start, like, how do you really feel? But um, it's just enough. It's like just enough Hollywood stuff to to get a little bit of an insight into it. And uh, yeah, it kind of, when I was watching it, I was like, oh yeah, this is like, it's surprising that I never really touched this angle before of, of how they, uh, like his mental state in a, as an agent like this in such a test manner, but it was, uh, it was well done. And uh, more of that uh, kind of combative shots, you know, kind of very side on, um, just like we saw with Em and, and Mallory as well. Mm. I do think this potentially... Because they say Skyfall at the end, like this is the big deal, and Bond is unhappy about it, so he just leaves. And it does tie into the evaluation we get later, which is that he's like repressing some sort of childhood trauma, uh, which is tied to this. And we, I don't think we get a great payoff to that, but I usually do overlook it because uh, I've said it before. So again, I think this is more M's film. So I'm not really here for Bond's like emotional journey with his childhood trauma because i don't think it really gets addressed all that well but also at the same time i think the theming of the film is about the old versus new and you know finding your place and kind of transitioning like this and stuff so i focus more on that stuff i think this stuff with skyfall is actually a little bit weak but it's it's just quite a small part of the film kind it's kind of a small part of the film i should say really because the actual thing itself isn't but this idea of what they're potentially setting up here is about, oh, what's Skyfall and why is Bond so upset about it? That I don't think gets resolved in a very interesting way. But I think this is more done for the sake of like, oh, that's the name of the film. What does it mean? Like, I think it's <laughs> it's more for just like a Hollywood interesting moment. Um, but because it doesn't really interrupt any of the other themes of the film, I'll give it a pass. But I think actually the way that's done it isn't that great. Yeah, it, it helps that we we're seeing like they they do this a lot where you're, you there is so much attention put to M that even in this scene where Bond is getting this evaluation and you are getting these glimpses into his answers and what he thinks and blah 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 Skyfall what's that you are even then still getting it's Mallory there overwatching M as this happens it's still M in her own little bubble of a storyline so like it's yeah. It's just it, such such clever stuff here. But it would have been so easy to have them feel um, like, or maybe to kind of forget one of them. And I would agree with you that I think in terms of like who wins out, M wins out big time with this film. Bond does have his own things, but it's, it's weaker for sure. Uh, but they just find a way to meld them so nicely together. And by having that, that Mallory character here, who we've already seen and is at the moment set up to be a kind of antagonistic nasty character it's it's good stuff yeah definitely uh, so this all ends this sequence with bond is getting changed and he's shouting in pain as he's taking off his shirt uh, so he's still very much in pain with this and he looks in the mirror and he gets a knife and then he stabs himself in the shoulder where he was shot and we see some blood come out and then we quickly cut away and we see Bond kind of with some bullet shards in his hand and just clip, like washing them. And then we cut to him handing them over to Tanner, saying, get these analysed for her eyes only. Yeah? Now, there's a film I would have liked to have seen. 
Yeah, and then they just play that film for the next two hours. I was so happy with that. <laughs> you were like, hooray! Yay, Chrissy! <laughs> <laughs> See, these are the references I can get behind. Like, it's such a... <laughs> It's such a famous phrase and it makes sense for this film. This is that that made me quite happy as because yes, there's the film, but generally speaking, it is like a classic Bond saying. So it's nice that they got it in here. Yeah. But I do now want to talk about the bullet in his shoulder because this was really, really confusing when I first watched this film, and I didn't understand what was happening here. So I'm going to explain it in black and white. Most people who know this film probably know what I'm what I'm on about and but when I first watched the film, I did not get this. So, in the opening sequence, he got shot twice. He got shot by the mysterious man who stole the list when he was in the digger. That went into his shoulder. And then he got shot again off the bridge. But all the thematic stuff about him being shot has absolutely nothing to do with him being shot off the bridge. Because that just hit his body armour... And it was more the force of the bullet knocked him off the bridge rather than him actually being shot. So they had him being shot twice in the, the opening sequence, but only one of them matters. And that's the first one when he was in the digger. And that's the ones causing him the shoulder pain. And that's the one that he just got the bullet shards out of. Yes. And I'm not very happy about that either, because I think it it's quite easy just to assume he's just getting hit by shards of glass. And not actually getting shot when yeah. he's in the digger. So, yeah, for the longest time, I thought it was that scar on his shoulder, or like just below his shoulder, was from the gunshot that's just healed badly. Like the, the, the Eve gunshot, but no. Yeah, and I don't know why they did that, because it feels like that, sh- like, thematically, that shot off the bridge that took him out of being a double O agent and out of MI6, that in a more poetic and thematic fashion, should be the one that he's still struggling with yeah. as he's trying to come back into the organization and do these tests and be- prove he's still the same Bond. That should be the one he's struggling with. But no, like he would still be struggling with this even if he wasn't shot off the bridge because he just got shot normally. <laughs> like, mm. And that wasn't him messing up. He just got shot during a mission. So even if the mission was a great success, he would still be like, my shoulder really, really hurts. <laughs> like, ow. Like, because he still got shot either way. Uh, yeah, it's a really good point. I don't, I, I don't know why. I don't know why they did that. No, and maybe they kind of had to to make this all fit because this does tie into the story and get us into the next place. But it's just kind of unfortunate. Like, for all the smart things this film does, I think if they could have found a better way so Bond only gets shot once and it still serves this purpose, that would have been better. Maybe there wasn't a good way of doing that. I'm assuming that's what happened here. But yeah, unfortunately, it makes it a little bit sloppy, a little bit confusing. Now that, like, once you've seen the film more than once, you do get it and put it all together. But the first time, it's so confusing that Bond got shot twice and only one of them actually really matters. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit strange, but something you just have to get over. I do kind of equate that to what we've said before about some Bond films just have confusing plots, and you yep. just have to kind of go with it. So I still associate it with that, but it's something that on the first viewing, just a bit confusing. Yeah. So after that, after he's given the, the shrapnel to Tanner, we, uh, we pan across the MI6 bunker, and we see Bond in a room waiting kind of pacing, and Eve enters and says that M is ready to see him. So he's been waiting for the meeting with M. 
Uh, and I, there is some, I just put banter, there's a bit of banter between these two. Mm. I, for the life of me, I can't remember what they say apart from kind of joking about like the fact that she shot him and how like it only hit four ribs and less vital organs. So nothing major. Um, I don't think there's much else apart from as they start walking, uh, he asks about, oh, you know, have you not been like, are you not out in the field sort of thing? Because obviously we saw her there at the beginning on a mission and she says that she's been temporarily reassigned for killing 007, <laughs> um, which is, yeah, that's fair play. Uh, and he kind of asks, you know, it's not for everyone being in the field, but she's very adamant that she wants to go back. And then it, this scene as they're walking towards M's office, it kind of ends with something about, well, I wrote down here, Bond says, uh, well, you know, a moving target is much harder harder to hit. And as he walks off, she stops and says, well, you better keep moving then. Oh, I hope I didn't miss anything that kind of led up to that a bit more. Uh, but no, I think that was about it. This is one of the issues I have with this. Um, I, I for, the, for a lot of this film, I do not like Eve's dialogue. I think it's just kind of bad. Um, I, I know what they're trying to do here and who we eventually see this character to be, but I think some of it just falls flat completely. Like even that silly VW line in the, like, I know that's just a throwaway line, but still. And then this one, oh, you better keep moving then. I just think, oh, it's just so cheesy. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't know. It didn't stand out to me. That's interesting. To me, I just thought this was all fine. It was just them going back and forth, making some jokes, and that was that. But well, there's, yeah, like this te- there's meant to be this fine. sexual tension between them somewhat, especially not maybe so much now, but especially later on. Um, and I don't know. I think they 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 hit and miss, <laughs> which quite a funny choice of words with her. But yeah, um, yeah. T- anyway, oh, fair anyway, enough. I just I, I, I wish can see had that. I dialogue. just thought it was a yeah chance for Bond and an MI6 character to have some. Yeah, banter, as you say, some back and forth. And I like the back and forth, but if you if the lines didn't work, then fair enough. They didn't work for me. Uh, anyway, so Bond goes into uh, the office with them. Uh, she's at her desk and he goes to sit and we see <laughs> we see the bulldog. Hey. The bulldog is there. As Tom said, it's it's uh, slightly cracked. Um, not looking too good, but still there in one piece. And Bond says, the whole office goes off, uh, goes up and that bloody thing survives. So... <laughs> uh yeah as bond is sitting there mallory comes in as well so he's there so it's him bond and an m and there's also tanner in the corner but you don't see it until later on but tanner is there he's always and there he's always there <laughs> he's basically m's carer but it's fine uh yeah and they're there to review bond's test scores and m says that uh he passed he passed by the skin of his teeth and that he's back on duty so that's kind of all Bond needed to know. So he goes up to start to leave and Mallory uh, kind of chimes in and says, why, why did you come back? Why didn't you just stay, stay dead, stay off the radar? And not many agents get that chance to, to leave in that way. Um, to which Bond kind of snaps back about, well, uh, how much experience have, have you had uh, in the field? Asking Mallory, uh, which he kind of ignores and just kind of goes on in about how, being an agent, being a double O is a young man's game. More of that, more of that age aspect coming into play here. And M, M's got Bond's back. She says, you know, if if he says he can do it, he can do it. And and Mallory is is accusing her of being sentimental about him. 
uh, and Mallory goes to leave and tells Bond not to cock it up as he goes past. And then that's where we see Tanner. So Tanner has been in the corner. He's at his computer. <laughs> Hello. Hello, I'm, I'm here, by the way. Sorry, that was a bit awkward. <laughs> Just dub in like Mr. Mendel's hello over that bit. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Uh, and he's been analysing the bullet fragments, the shrapnel that uh, that Bond gave him, and it's apparently some sort of uranium shell, and somehow they know this is only used by a select few hitmen or terrorists, and this one has been tracked down very handily, been tracked down to exactly the one man, uh, someone called Patrice, um, which they don't know much about, but thankfully the, the CIA are also tracking this guy, so they share some data some intel and they know that he's going to be in Shanghai in two days time for a job there. So M sets out Bond to um, to go and find out who he works for, who has the list, the hard drive, and then uh, kill him, basically. So um, that's kind of that. Bond just at the end says, is there anything else you want to say, M? Uh, kind of probing her a little bit for a little bit more information. She says, no, no, I'm fine. I'm good. All good. And ends off by saying, go and report to the new quartermaster. Oh, the new quartermaster? Um, <laughs> That's what Bond get... replies with, yeah. Oh, oh, the new oh, quartermaster. Okay. Oh. Oh. Yeah, uh, to go get his tickets and stuff as well. And I just put my notes here that it's quite interesting that we're now kind of in this moment where Bond is is back. And although not, not fully back, like he's still not the Bond we know. Um, and he's still bearded. He's still He's still got a bit of like scruffy beard going on. Yeah, uh, like we saw a bit of bearded Bond, a lot more bearded, uh, die another day. But he very quickly, you know, shaved it all off, and and that's that. He's back to normal. But they're keeping it for a bit longer here. You see him for a lot longer in this sort of state, which I just thought was quite interesting. And I guess they save that moment for a more poignant time to have like the thematic shaving as well, I suppose. Yeah, uh, but for yeah, sure. just just to end off the scene, Bond leaves, and Tanner says to M, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't know Bond passed his test." And she says he didn't. So, yeah, Bond actually didn't. I mean, we kind of could have guessed that from what we saw. It wasn't doing too well. But no, M lied. Uh, M, M just got him through because she wants him. Yeah. This was a really great scene here because it's always difficult with Bond where they're introducing this character of Mallory who you still don't quite get who this is. And it's always difficult with Bond where you're kind of introducing a you know, an authority figure. Like, they've messed that up so many times. But Mallory clearly is some sort of authority figure who kind of has some sort of jurisdiction over M to a certain extent, but he's kind of getting involved with this quite a bit. And it's just interesting to see him kind of quiz Bond about this. And it's what you want to see with this sort of thing. He's making good points. Yeah, He is saying, like, look, well, he says there's no shame in admitting you've lost a step. Like, hey, it's like, you've been injured. It's been pretty rough what you've gone through. You haven't done this for a while. It's like, don't... I think he says something like, the only shame is, uh, you know, admitting it too late. Uh, which, it's just all good points. I just think Mallory's a very straight shooter, very kind of to the point. But it's interesting to see his kind of contrast towards Bond to M, where I don't really see Mallory as just being like really rude and awful towards Bond. He is just being like, I just want to make sure we got the best people on this and this is being handled correctly. And then seeing Judy Dench or, you know, M being like, why? Well, if he says he's ready, he's ready, which he does very quickly. 
because you get Mallory about talking about losing your stare. Bond says, hire me or fire me. It's up to you. And this is when M just very quickly says, well, if he says he's ready, he's ready. And you see Mallory not impressed. So you you do see those dynamics. And it is interesting that, yeah, I think they balance Mallory very well. It's, you know, it's... It helps that you have Ralph Fiennes here doing this, who's a great actor. <laughs> yeah. Very great oh. on screen and pulls this off very well. Yeah. Um, and even though he is a very famous actor, he just pulls off this authority figure to bond really well. Um, so it's just a very interesting conversation between these three with this dynamic. And yeah, it's just interesting to see it play out. Yeah, they didn't make him nasty for the sake of... Well, they didn't make him nasty, but they could have just made him like, oh, he hates Bond or he's jealous of Bond or or maybe he's like a double agent or something. No, he's just being very logical. Uh, and that's enough to to have a a a thing for M to to push back against. And yeah, it, you're right. Like you're getting someone who doesn't know Bond versus someone who knows Bond too well. And I think it being Ralph Fiennes as well, as you say, it's it's uh, he he does the balance incredibly well of being uh, a little bit smarmy and a little bit well not smarmy but like you know pushing buttons, uh, but also being very grounded and so you don't hate you don't you're not annoyed by him. You kind of he is he is there as that role at the moment, but you can respect him, which I like. Yeah, the respect is the the huge part of this, and it has to be for where this character goes. Um, so I'm glad they're kind of putting that in there. But you are kind of in Bond's shoes for this, where you're a little bit unsure about the guy, but it's not that it's not making sense. Um, he kind of is. It's just, go Bond, shoot, get him! <laughs> Yay! <Yeah. laughs> uh, so they get that balance really well, which is something they, once again, they could have got it very wrong. So I appreciate they've been able to in- interject this character and have him kind of work, because that is not easy to do. Mm. And with that, you have reached the end of part one of episode 23 of the Bond Revisited podcast. Join myself and Tom next time where Bond meets Q for the first time, hangs around in Shanghai, has a close shave with Eve before heading to a casino where he takes on some very questionable looking Komodo dragons. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you for part two.